Amen. A very fitting song, right, for the time in which we live. I think the flood may be coming right now. I don't know. Uh, sounds like it's coming down out there. It's good to see you this morning. I appreciate so much you joining us for worship. You want to turn to Colossians chapter 3. Uh, we've been in Colossians 3 for a little bit talking about relationships and realizing that in the 21st century, uh, we struggle a little bit with relationships, right? We've got all of these devices to connect us together. We've got smartphones, we've got social media, we've got the internet, we've got email, and, and maybe even sometimes we, we call somebody or, or actually meet in person. Uh, we've got all of these ways to be connected, but it seems like in the 21st century, uh, we're just not real good at staying rightly related to one another. Uh, and so we've been talking about it a little bit. We've talked about the fact that all of the other relationships, all of these horizontal relationships that we have are built upon a foundation of a right relationship with God. That's how Paul starts Colossians chapter 3. He starts with saying we've, we've got to be rightly related to God or these other relationships aren't going to work out. You really can't, you really can't effectively follow the instructions that he gives late in the chapter if you haven't followed the instructions he gives early in the chapter. It really doesn't work well to, to take the, again, pretty simplistic view of, of family relationships where he says that a husband loves, a wife submits, children obey, and parents don't provoke. That really doesn't answer the questions of our family relationships if we haven't started with a meaningful relationship with God. So he starts the chapter by saying, if ye then be risen with Christ. And that is a definite if. That's not something that just happens automatically. Uh, that's not something that you're born into in, in the sense of your physical birth. You, you don't just become a, a follower of Jesus Christ. You're not made a Christian, you're not born a Christian. It's a birth experience that comes by being risen with Christ. We saw baptism this morning. It's just an outward sign of what happens to a person inwardly when they trust Christ as their Savior. We're all born into the world dead, separated from God, dead in our trespasses and sin. But, but when we come into an understanding of the gospel and what Christ did for us, we put our faith in that, he, he says that we're, we're risen with Christ. We've entered into the gospel, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. His payment for sin has been applied to our lives. That's what it means to be risen with Christ. Uh, I, I appreciate Justice's testimony this morning, uh, and I, I fear that many sit in our churches who have a very egocentric gospel, a very self-centered gospel, they, they put their faith in something that's all about them and not all about him. And that's not the true gospel. That's a false gospel that makes it about us. And that's a gospel that will damn many to hell. I would challenge you today to examine yourself if you be of the faith. To prove your own self how Christ Jesus is in you except you be reprobates. It's a great challenge that we ought to all take. Don't examine your neighbor. Don't examine your friend. Examine yourself. Prove your own self 
that Christ is in you. Because if he isn't, you're still separated from God by your sin. And if you were to die today, you'd spend an eternity in an awful place called hell. It starts with a right relationship with God. And that starts by being risen with Christ. And then he says, if you're risen with Christ, take that next step. Seek those things that are above. Set your affection on things that are above, not on the things of the earth. We don't live for this world any longer as a believer in Jesus Christ. It's not about what I can get. It's about living a life in relationship to him, having a meaningful relationship with God, seeking those things that are above, not living for here and now, but for there and then. We've talked about this. He said, mortify your members. In order to, to do that, I've got to die to myself because my flesh has passions. My flesh wants what it wants. My flesh is a spoiled two-year-old, right? right? It, it wants what it wants, and it wants it now. And we'll fight to get it. I've got to die to myself. And that's what he instructs us to do. Mortify, therefore, your members which are on the earth. Put off that old man and put on the new man, which is renewed after the image of him that created him. So we're to live differently. And we live differently not because we're, you know, we got good manners and we're nice people. We live differently because we're dead to ourselves and Christ is alive in us and he's living through us. It's an internal transformation that has an external manifestation. I fear again that, that a lot of people in the church today were very religious and we've whipped ourselves into shape and, and we know how to act when we're in public, but there's no real inward transformation. And that's just religion. And it's going to send a lot of people to hell. Don't let that be true of you. He goes on to say that, that living like that gives us a peace and, and the word of God dwells within us. And so this, this is all built on a, a meaningful relationship with God. And then we took some time when we talked about, the, again, the most important relationship is with God. And, 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 and in the order that God presents them, the next one is our relationship with our spouse. And he instructs us, now you've got that foundation, then how, here's how you can live in this marital relationship. Uh, wives, submit to your own husbands. And he's, he's just talking about this order of things, trusting and counting on him. Uh, we went through all of that, and then, and then a husband loving his wife like Christ loves the church, sacrificially, each sacrificing themselves for the other so that genuinely two now can become one. Having all of my needs met in Christ, he's supplying all of my needs, he's caring for me, my identity is found in him, my fulfillment, my, my joy is in him, and now I can serve my spouse. And the same is true of her, and when that's the case... Each of us having all of our needs met in Christ, we're free to serve one another. And then what we, we have is an abundance of supply and a lack of need. That's the abundant life Jesus talked about. He said children ought to obey their parents. They need to learn obedience. And he says to parents, don't provoke your children. Don't provoke them to wrath. Don't provoke them to, lest they be discouraged. And, and, and we've, we've went through all of those, and, and I kind of thought that's where we would end it. But you know, that he, he goes on with more relationships. He continues to lay out. So he's laid out these family relationships. And interestingly enough, the next thing that, that he goes to, we'll look at it from our context as a relationship with how that we ought to interact in our, our work environment. And so I'm calling this one how to relate with as an employee. And, and the principle here is focused obedience. That's who we ought to be. Employees, Christians ought to be. It ought to be a world where if you put 
I'm a Christian on my resume, it would make you the most desirable candidate. The sad reality is that's not true. And the reason that's not true isn't because the world's such a corrupt place. The reason that's true is because so many Christians don't live like one. It's not their fault. It's our fault. And so he says some pretty straightforward things here in Colossians chapter 3. Let's read it together. Colossians 3, down in verse number 22. He calls us servants. Servants obey in all things your masters according to the flesh. Not with eye service as men pleasers, but in singleness of heart, fearing God. And whatsoever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord, not unto men. Knowing that, you, knowing that of the Lord you shall receive the reward of the inheritance. For you serve the Lord Christ, but he that doeth wrong shall receive for the wrong which he hath done. And there is no respect of persons. I want us just to see a very simple outline this morning. It is right where we live, how we live. Just three things. I want to see who, I want to see how, and I want us to see why. Who we are, how we ought to live, and why we ought to live that way. Very simplistic message. But I think it would radically change our influence in the world if we would live it out. The first thing is just who. Now, Paul starts by, by referring to us as servants, one who serves another. It's a, it's a broad term, day laborers, employees, hired servants, or, or even bond servants. He, he's referring to not people who are, are cruel. We'll, we'll talk about what an employer or a, a master ought to live like next week, and, and there's a high accountability with that. But he's, he's talking about servants, and, and a servant can either be bond or he can be free. Uh, either way, but it's all the same. A bond servant is someone who isn't paid, and, and a free servant is someone who is paid. He's, he's talking about not like in our minds we would we would think about slavery today, where someone's ripped from their home and, 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 and sold on a market. That's, that's condemned by God. In fact, if you were to go back into the Old Testament, in Exodus chapter 21, God very specifically says that, that anyone who would steal a man and sell him on a market is, is to be condemned to death. That's the command of the Old Testament. That's God's attitude about slavery. He is not for it. He is against it. So it's, that's not the point, but Paul is writing during the time of the Roman Empire, and, and what the, the, the historians tell us is there were uh, about 120, 130 million people in the Roman Empire, and, and a, a, a fair half of them were in the servant class. 50 to 60 million people who, who lived in the servant class and so these were people who, it wasn't a racial thing. These were people who had maybe been prisoners of war or, or maybe even people who had debt that they couldn't pay. And, and so they gave themselves to be a bond servant. Sometimes it would be a child who didn't have a family. And, and a lot of times people who were brought into that family were, were, were treated as family. They served in the family. You know, if you looked at my upbringing, you might say, You're a bond, you, you were a bond servant, Joe. I remember we, we lived on a farm. I've told you we worked on a farm. We, we worked a lot of days, hard days. You've ever spent a, a summer day in a hay field? You, you know that's hard work. If we ever ask, as, as me or my siblings, we ever ask my dad, hey, uh, how about a little compensation for what we did today? 
My dad would famously say, oh, absolutely. You will be welcome at the supper table tonight. And you can sleep in the house. You, you might have said we were bond servants. We were working for room and board. You know what? That's okay. That's okay. Not a bad thing. And so Paul writes and he, and he says to, to the most of the recipients of this letter, that you, you may be a bond servant, you may be a free servant, but, but understand how you ought to function in that role. There's a way to function within that role. It's hard for us to, to understand that or appreciate because we live in this culture, this, this very, very unique culture in America. I know we don't think that way. We travel the world and we look around and we think, wow, it's so, it's so maybe we would say strange or, or odd or, or maybe even weird when we go to another country. We think, man, this is just so different. It's a, a strange place, a weird place, a, an odd place. Having that culture shock is a very real thing. Maybe you've traveled abroad and, and become even angry, frustrated when you see how other people live. Well, I've traveled the world enough to know that they're not the weird ones we are. They're not the strange ones. 95% of the world is very similar. It's very different here because we live in the land of opportunity. We live in a country, and I, I mentioned it last week, but God has so blessed this place, not because we're so special and we're so wonderful, but because he is so great and, and he founded us for, for his purposes. And we talked about those last week. I won't reiterate that. But we live in a land of opportunity. It really, it really doesn't matter where you're born. You, you have opportunity. It, it's, it's unheard of in other parts of the world. If you are born into that servant class, to ever get out of that, that that's unheard of. It's an impossibility. It's, it's not something that is at all likely to happen because there's just not opportunity. But here in this country, it's not that way. You could be born among the poorest of the poor, but you can, you can elevate yourself out of that. It's, it's an amazing, wonderful place. We're not stuck in a social class. But Paul writes during a time where people were stuck in a social class and they, they couldn't bring themselves out of that. And so as he writes to them, he gives them instruction. And as he gives them instruction, he doesn't say, you guys band together and create a social revolution. That's what you need to do. That's not what he says. That's not what he tells us to do. He tells us to live in the fullness of God, regardless of your social standing. Regardless of where you find yourself in the social order, there's always been social order. There will always be social order. But he says regardless of where you're at in the social order, your identity is not tied up in that. That doesn't make you superior or inferior. Because your identity is not tied to the social order. You're no more or less valuable to God. In fact, I would say, there are many people who we would maybe say are in the lower end of that social order that have a much greater understanding of God and who he is because they have a greater dependence upon him. I've said it many, many times. I believe it to be true. You've never been too weak to be used by God, but you have been too strong. You can be too strong to be used by God because you depend upon ourselves. We think that we got this, that we can do it. 
And God rejects the proud, and he gives grace to the humble. It's in our weakness that he is made strong. Our identity is not found in the social order. You know, jobs and, and position. Uh, again, we are the land of opportunity, and I love America, but the thing that's so unique about us is, is those things are so important to us. We, 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 we have a tendency to find our significance in what we do. We, we have a tendency to, to find our identity in, in our status, in our employment, what our job is. You get two men together, and they won't be talking for more than 30 seconds when the, until the question comes, so what do you do for a living? So often we live our jobs and do our families. When we ought to be living in our families and doing our job. So often our job drives our lives. It's, it's where we find our identity. And that should not be the case. We should not let our work define our identity. We should let our identity define our work. We live life upside down. And we shouldn't live that way. We talked a moment ago what Paul, as he begins this whole thing, and he says, if you've then risen with Christ, if you're born again, if you have life within you, if the Spirit of God resides within you, Seek those things that are above. Set your affection on things above, not on the things of the earth. Don't allow this life to define who you are. Don't allow your career, your social standing, your, your status in the world, your stuff to identify who you are. Because none of those things are sufficient for that. God is our creator. Amen. He knows what brings fulfillment. He knows what life is about. What's really, really sad is most human beings come to the end of their life before they figure that out. I've had the occasion to be at the deathbed of more people than a, than a fellow ought to be at. I've had the occasion to, to be in the presence of many when they left this world. I have never one time had the experience of anyone expressing regret that they didn't do more for their career, for the company they worked for. I, I've never had anybody tell me how, how regretful they are that, that their home wasn't something different. You see, when it comes to that time, it really is all about relationships. Amen. A relationship with God, a relationship with my family, a relationship with those around me, those have influence. That's what life's about. And, and that's what God's saying. Seek Him first. Get this thing in order Seek those things that are above. Remember a few weeks ago we talked about those things. God, God lays them out in his word. He says the things that are above, the, the word of God is above. So I should seek to know God. The, the person of God is above. I, I should seek to love him and have a love relationship with him. The throne of God is above. I, I should live a life of worship to him, not just singing songs, but bowing to his authority and, and who he is. He says the, the family of God is, is above. And so I should live my life to serve him. 
That's where identity is found. That's where life is found. It's not in stuff or in possessions or positions or, or social standing. It doesn't matter what system you live in, if it's capitalism or, or socialism or, 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 or communism or, or any of those things. I, I, obviously, we're, we're for a free society where we can freely proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ, but that does not define my identity. My identity is found in Christ. And what the Bible teaches is we're all servants to something. We're either a servant to sin or we're a servant to God. When you bull it all down, when you bull it all down, it comes down to one of two. I either serve God or I serve sin. Romans chapter 6, the Apostle Paul writing to the church at Rome and, and laying out this whole concept of the, the new covenant. He comes to chapter 6 and he says, know you not? And he said, don't you know this? To whom you yield yourself servants to obey, his servants there are to whom you obey. You know, we like for it to be a little more nebulous than that, don't we? We, li we like to say, oh, well, nobody knows my heart. Well, nobody knows who I serve. Well, Paul just said, yeah, yeah, we do. It's defined by who you serve. To whom you yield yourself. So if I'm yielding myself to myself, then I'm worshiping me as God. And that's sin. I, we could go on, right? If I, if I yield myself to another relationship, another human relationship, if I yield myself, honestly, uh, you, we'll see in a moment, you ought to be a great employee, but you ought to be a great employee not because you serve the company, but because you serve the Lord Christ. Amen. And you recognize that you can't compartmentalize your life. You can't say, oh, that's work, and, and I'm here today at church, and, and yes, yes, I'm, I'm the servant of God today. Tomorrow? All bets are off because you don't understand. You know, it's tough out there. You just got to do certain things in the business world that, well, you know, that's just how we got to live. That's wrong. I'm, I'm ahead of myself. He says we either serve Christ or we serve sin. Let me, let, me, let me go back to my notes in the Bible. He says, no, you're not. To whom you yield yourself service to obey his servants you are to whom you obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. But God be thanked that you were the servants of sin, but you have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered unto you. And so he's saying, he's talking about that salvation experience. He says, you were servants of sin. You see, if you've never been born again, if you've never been risen with Christ, if you've never trusted him as your savior, I love you today. I love you enough to tell you you're the servant of sin. Oh, no. No, I'm a good person. I do good things. Wonderful. You're a servant of sin. Because separated from God, you, can't, you have no other option. It's no other choice. And so he says, until we come, we were the servants of sin. But when we came to Christ, when we obeyed from the heart, it's an internal issue. That form of doctrine... It's according to the, the sound teachings of the words of God. It, it's, it, it's not arbitrary. It's not just you come, come any way you like. No, that doesn't. No, no, no. 
It's the gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And, and Paul said, according to the scriptures. It's the death, burial, and the resurrection according to the scriptures. Not according to Joe, not according to the Decatur Baptist Church, not according to the Baptist or any other denomination. It's according to the scriptures, the words of God. And if we've, if we've come that way, we've obeyed that form of doctrine, we've, we've submitted to that, then he says being made free from sin, you become the servants of righteousness. We're free. And that freedom is freedom from sin. So often as Christians, we treat it like we've, we've come into bondage or something. We, we act like, oh, well, no, no, I'm a Christian, so I can't do all those things. No, I'm free from all of those things. I'm free from those things that lead to death. I'm free from those things that are destructive. I'm free from that bondage. I've been made free to serve righteousness. Amen. That's what a Christian life is about. Our masters, who, 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 we're the servants, who's the master? Notice he says, a master, he, he's one who has authority. It's the same word that, that is used in reference to the Lord Jesus Christ. But here in the context, he says, it's your masters according to the flesh. So he makes it clear who he's talking about. He's talking about those who are in authority over us according to the flesh. He, he's talking about my boss. He's talking about that, that person who's over me. They're my master, but they're my master according to the flesh. I ought to obey them. But, but I ought to also understand that that only goes so far. That goes as far as the flesh. He has no control over my soul or over my spirit. It's over my flesh. This is my master according to the flesh. I'm free to serve the Lord Christ with my soul and with my spirit. But a lot of times, there's a lot of us, and it's... It's somewhat a unique American challenge. We allow that master according to the flesh to control our lives. We, we bring them home and have them for dinner. We, we take them on vacation with us. We allow that weight to ride on us. We allow that influence to dominate our lives. We allow it to affect how we, how we interact with our families. We allow it to influence how we raise our children. And that should not be so. It, it's not a compartmentalized life. We, we compartmentalize the wrong way. There are masters, but there are masters according to the flesh. So we, we have those who are in authority over us, and we're going to see how we ought to react to them, but we ought to recognize that God is the one that we serve. And as I serve my, my master according to the flesh, I serve my master according to the flesh because I, I, I'm ultimately not serving him, I'm serving God. It, it goes back to all of these relationships. Why should a wife submit to her husband? Because he deserves it. No, not at all. But because she serves the Lord Christ. Why, why should a husband love his wife unconditionally? Well, obviously because she's so lovable. And while she may be, as in my case. <laughs> you got to take every chance you can get. That's not the reason. The reason is because God told me to. I trust him. Well, if I... And, I, and I've even heard this in church, you know, well, if you'll, if you'll do this, you'll do that. It's not tit for tat, it's not that. 
No, 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 no. I live in obedience to Christ. Let's just do what right, what's right because it's right. Let's just be obedient to God because we're obedient to God. He'll handle the results. And you know what? We're going to see in just a minute. He's really good at it. He's really, really good at it. And that's what faith is. And if, if never in this life I receive what I think I have coming to me, it doesn't matter. Because I don't live for this life. I live for that life. I'm living for eternity. Focused obedience. Not focused on our boss. Focused on our God. I do what I do because I serve God. And I live in obedience to him. Let's talk about the how real quick. That was the who. We're the servants. Ultimately, God is the master. Servants obey them in all things, or obey in all things, excuse me, your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men pleasers, but in singleness of heart, fearing God. And whatsoever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not unto men. Now notice, obey in all things. Verse 23, whatsoever you do, it's in all things. What, what does that mean, in all things? It means in all things. Whatsoever you do, what does that mean? What, whatsoever I do on the job or, or on Sunday or, no, it's whatsoever you do. It's, it's in all things. Again, you can't compart it. We can't separate the secular and the sacred. If, you're, if I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, guess what? I'm in full-time service. <laughs> there are no part-time Christians. That, that doesn't work. It's full-time. Regardless of where you draw your paycheck, you're in full-time service to the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what it means to be a follower of Christ. And so I can't compartmentalize this thing. When we go back to verse 17, again, it's talking about this relationship with God back in the early part of the chapter. And whatsoever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. No matter what you're doing, do it as unto the Lord Jesus Christ in word or in deed. So if it's, if it's work, if it's sports, if it's school, if it's family, whatever it is, do it all for Christ. My life is about Christ. It's centered on Christ. It's all about Him and His glory. That's what it means to be a Christian. It's not that I, oh yeah, I, I show up at church once a week for 45 minutes. I know some of you are thinking, what church do you go to? <laughs> it ain't this one. Okay, an hour and a half. Maybe three of you, you know, really committed to come to Bible study. That's not Christianity. It's not Christianity. Christ is worthy of everything. When he saved me, he bought me. And he didn't buy a little bit of my time. It ain't my time, it's his time. I belong to him. And he can do with me as he chooses. And regardless, as we just heard beautifully sung on this platform, whatever comes, I'm going to praise him. 
Because it's not about what's going on in my life that makes him worthy. It's about who he is. He is worthy. He's worthy. He's all, when life ain't good, he's always good. I probably didn't say that nearly as good as the song said it, but that, that's the point I got. Regardless of my situation or my circumstances, he's worthy to be praised. So he says, don't, 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 don't serve your masters according to the flesh. Don't do your job with eye service. Now, what's he saying? Don't just work while somebody's watching. Character is what you do when nobody's looking. Right? We, we shouldn't need somebody watching over us because we know who's watching over us. We know that God is aware. He lives in me. What? Paul said to the church at Corinth, don't you know? Your body's the temple of the Holy Ghost, which you have of God. You're not your own. You've been bought with a price. God lives in you. And wherever you go, he goes. He'll never leave you or forsake you. We've all taken him some places that he didn't want to go, but he didn't leave us or forsake us. He went with us because he lives in us. We should live lives not with eye service. We have a higher accountability because we are the followers of God, servants of the Lord Christ, not as men pleasers. We shouldn't do what we do to, to please men. Paul wrote to the church at Galatia and he said, if I, if I should seek to please men, then I cease to be the, the servant of Christ. He says they're, they're opposites. It, it can't be both. I, I can't live my life to please men and also be the servant of Christ. It doesn't work that way. Just live, not as a man pleaser, not as someone who serves with, with eye service, but, but live your life to please Christ. Don't worry about what people think about you. Worry about what God knows about you. Amen. And a lot of times we get caught up doing quote-unquote good stuff because we're worried about what people think about us. We're worried about what people would say about us. We'd do well to stop concerning ourselves with that and just get concerned with what God knows. Focus our attention. Not as I service, with, not with, as men pleasers, but notice he says how to serve with single-heartedly, with, with a single heart. Do, do what we do with our whole heart. Paul said in the, in the parallel text in Ephesians 6, doing the will of God from the heart with, with an intrinsic motivation. I've met so many people who, who do what they do while they grit their teeth, you know, and man, I'll tell you, I'm going to do this. I'm going to serve God if it kills me. It's always right to do right. Don't get me wrong. You shouldn't. I've heard the other side of the equation. Well, I don't really have a heart for it, so I just ain't going to do it. Neither of those is right. You ought to always do right, but if you're not enjoying doing right, get right with God. And let him change your heart. Do it from the heart, single-heartedly. That's what he says, do it heartily with your whole heart. This, this letter to, to the church at Colossae, it's, it's a unique letter. It was the letter that was to be written in, writ, read in Laodicea. Laodicea is that, that seventh church period, Revelation 2 and 3. God lays out seven periods of church history before the church even begins. The last one is the Laodicean age. The word Laodicea means the rights of the people. It, it depicts this time that you and I live in. 
It's a time that was described by God as a, a time of people being lukewarm. And God says, I'd rather you be hot or cold because lukewarm just makes me want to spew you out of my mouth. I'll leave it the way God said it. It makes me sick. And Paul writes this to this church at Colossae and, and church at Laodicea, and he says, man, would you just, would you just quit being fake? Would you just quit playing games? Would you just quit being so concerned what people think about you and get concerned about what God knows about you and get your heart right with God and do what you do from the heart? You know, we're, we're in a crazy time. I remember the first weekend of this whole crazy pandemic when it started. I was at a conference over in Atlanta and we were making a the decision of if we would continue to be there together, totally violating everything the CDC was saying, we decided, no, we need to stop this and everybody go home and uh, follow those guidelines. One of the pastors in that meeting said, I, I believe that this virus will be the great sifting of the church. What, what he meant by that is it's going gonna, it's gonna to sift us. We're going to find out who's real and who's not. That's not a bad thing. That's not a bad thing. It's not a bad thing for the church. It's not a bad thing for us individually. We need to really figure out where we stand with God. And I suspect that more is on the way. And I I don't mean to be discouraging. I I mean to be encouraging. Let's be encouraged to to do what we do single-handedly heartedly let's let's be hearty he, he says as unto the lord and, and the idea is here's here's what paul assumes paul's coming with this assumption that you serve god with your whole heart do you can i can i just say something in 21st century christianity it is now considered faithful if you attend one church service every six weeks. I'm serious. Missiologists, that's what, they, that's what they call faithfulness. If somebody comes once every six weeks, they're a faithful member. That's not what my Jesus died for. I'm sorry. I, if you come in once every six weeks, man, I'm stoked. Thanks, come. I'm, I'm, happy. I, I'm, I'm happy. I'm happier with that than if you weren't coming at all. Because maybe somewhere in there you'll get infected (laughs) not with coronavirus but with the gospel and you'll realize that Jesus is not only worth my life he's worth my death it's his life I gotta move on let's let's talk about why verse 24 knowing that okay so how do, how do I know that? How do I know that the Lord, how do I, knowing that of the Lord, you shall receive a reward of the inheritance? How do I know that? Well, there's only one way to know that. It's by faith. Faith in the written words of God. So he says, I know that I shall receive a reward of the inheritance. There, there's an inheritance in Christ. 
In Luke 19, there's the parable of the talents, and he, and he talks about the guy who got 10, and the guy who got 5, and the guy who got 1, remember? And the guy who got 10, he went out and invested it, and so he put him over 10 cities and 5 over 5 cities. But the, the guy who got the 1, he didn't waste it, he didn't squander it, he went and buried it, and, and he came back and he gave it back to the Lord, and he said, look, I, I got this 1 that you gave me, let me give it back to you, there you go, I kept it safe. Look how good I did. What did Jesus say? You're a wicked servant. Listen, we should understand there's coming a day when the one who controls that thunder we're hearing is going to be standing right in front of us. And he's going to have a question. Here's the question. If you're a believer in Christ now, if you're not a believer in Christ, you're not going to show up at this judgment. You're going to show up at a much worse one. But if you're a believer in Christ, we're all going to stand one day before the judgment seat of Christ. And here's the question. What did you do with what I gave you? I got good news and I got bad news. And it all comes in one phrase. You will get what you deserve. God's a righteous judge. God keeps good books. You might say, I don't, I'm underappreciated. I don't get what I deserve. My employer doesn't, doesn't compensate me for all that I'm worth. Hallelujah, one day God will. Amen? Amen? Amen. I'm concerned for us, and I, I include myself in the us. That we value earthly compensation so much more than we value heavenly compensation. That concerns me for us. We're so, and and it's our nature to be so temporal minded that we lose sight of eternal things. And I I know it's our nature, and, and, and listen, Paul said, When he he talked about this to Timothy, he said it's going to be a fight. It's going to be a battle to get your attention off of temporal things and get your attention off of earthly things, to turn toward eternal and heavenly things. But he said it's a good fight. It's a good fight. And we ought to all enter into it so that when we stand before him one day, We stand there without regret, having lived a life of servitude to the only one who is worthy, the only one who's worthy. Recognize today, it'll be worth it. It'll be worth it. Why should we live like that? It'll be worth it. He's worthy of it. One day he will reward us in eternity. I love this phrase. I mentioned it a moment ago. I think it bears repeating. Don't let your, don't let your work define your identity. Don't let your work, don't let your employment define your identity. Let your identity define your employment. Don't find 
your satisfaction, fulfillment, your identity, who you are, based on your position. Let who you are define what position you have and how you live out that position, how you serve in that position. Find your identity in Christ. Do it with everything that's within you. Because one day, one day I believe very soon, we're going to stand in his presence. I want to hear well done. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a few things. He said it was just a little bit. I'll make you ruler over many. Not for my glory, but for his. Amen? Amen. Father, we love you today. We recognize today who you are. We confess today that you are worthy. God, help us today to be believers who would live lives that are worthy of you. Lord, I pray today that our reputation as individuals would be that of wholly committed, fully devoted followers of your son, Jesus Christ. Father, I pray today that each of us that are, that are saved here this morning, that are born again, that we would not have taken your name in vain. Most of us would never use words that would do that, but often we live lives that do that. God, help us to live in a way in every aspect of our lives, whether it be in church or in, in work or in recreation, lives that are pleasing to you. Help us be who you've called us to be. To be true followers of your son. Father, I pray today for any may be here that, that don't know you, either in this room or watching, that they would come to a true faith in your son, Jesus Christ, realizing what you've done for them. I pray in Christ Jesus' name. Amen. Let's, uh, let's do this this morning. I hope you prayed with me. I hope you'll walk out of here and live that kind of life. Every one of us, as believers in Christ, have that privilege and that obligation. I encourage you to do that, to live that way. If you're not a follower of Christ, we would love to help you become one. Brittany told you just a moment ago, I'll be out at the VIP area in just a moment. I, I would love to talk to you about how you can do that. A simple message of the Word of God, not what I think, not what this church thinks, what the Bible says about being a believer in Jesus Christ. Amen? We're going to close that way this morning, except we're going to welcome some new members first, right? Uh, and I forgot about that until I got to the end of my notes. So let me, uh, let's do that. Then we'll sing out, okay? You guys have joined me up here and we'll sing our way out. So, staff, you guys have got people to greet if you'll come. Uh, I'm going to start with Judy Mitchell. Judy, are you here today? Yeah, there's Judy. She's up there. Come on down, Judy. Uh, Judy Mitchell is, uh, come on, you can shake, you can clap, not shake, but clap. Judy comes to our uh, church, uh, being influenced by her sister, Paula Batchelor, and uh, apparently Paula's 
been encouraging her for a while to come. And uh, she's coming down with her this morning. Uh, Judy is joining by statement of faith and, and, uh, and statement of her baptism. And uh, as she comes to join our church, she's interested in getting involved here with the ministries here. You guys will come stand right here. Uh, she uh, wants to be a greeter in our church. She's wanting to help in our office staff and also interested in getting involved in the discipleship ministry uh, here at Decatur Baptist Church. She and Paul are taking care of her mom right now, their mom right now. Uh, and so very, very busy with that. But uh, we're glad to have Judy. Amen. Let's welcome her. I want to introduce you to Joshua Rencher. Joshua is joining by profession of faith. He is excited to get involved in discipleship. Uh, so please welcome Joshua. I want to introduce you to Greg. It's on. We're live. Okay, Greg and Donna Briscoe. You met uh, Greg earlier in the baptismal waters as he followed the Lord in scriptural baptism. And Donna, they're both coming by profession of faith and baptism. They're already involved in one of our small groups, uh, Faithful Followers, with uh, Brother Phil Terry. And uh, we're glad to have them help me welcome the Briscoes. So these folks went through our Discover DBC class last month, and if you haven't been through one of those classes and you're interested in more information, there will actually be another Discover DBC class next Sunday morning. Uh, we meet at 8.30 over in the education building. Uh, so if you just come in the office entrance, there'll be signage there to show you how to get up there. Uh, so we'd encourage you to come if you're interested in more information. That's a kind of a first step to find out more about us. Uh, there's also a, a class like we talked about this morning, Living This Life of Faith. If you want to live a life of faith, then we need somebody to help us do that because it isn't natural. And so we have a process of biblical discipleship to help you do that. The first step toward that is a cost of discipleship class, and that's coming up on August the 19th. So we would encourage you to get involved with cost of discipleship, to take those steps toward living this Christian life uh, in, in a way that's pleasing to the Lord, glorifying to the Lord, uh, and also brings fulfillment and contentment in our lives. A couple things real quick, just by way of announcement. If you're reading 52 Weeks of Pursuit, Man, awesome. I'm glad you're with us. There's two volumes to that book. So if you have volume one, you need volume two because we just crossed over uh, to the second volume. We're in, in the latter part of the Psalms now. Uh, so if you need one of those, they're available in the foyer. Maybe you heard of the Chick-fil-A gift cards and you've brought one today to turn in. Uh, we'll, Vanessa will be in the foyer. She can get those from you this morning as well to uh, be a blessing to those that serve our community. All right, let's stand together. I want you to come around. The, the praise team's going to close us out. Uh, I don't know. Can we? I don't know if we can shake hands. Can we shake hands? You can come by and fist bump these folks or something. I don't know. You can come down and wave at them. You can say hi. I don't even know how to act anymore. Uh, but uh, do something like that, okay? Uh, come by and let them know you're glad to have them a part of the Cater Baptist Church, okay? God bless you. Have a great Sunday. We're going to sing our way out. You can do that now, even before they start singing. You can move.